Hello and welcome, one and all, to another episode of I Am The Night, the show where Adam Hello. And I discuss Batman the Animated Series. And it's our 66th episode, and we're looking at episode 7 of season 2. And we can't decide whether this is pronounced Harlequinade or Harlequinade. But hey, with a title like that, you know what it's about. We do indeed. We get a great character portrait of one of my favourite, underappreciated, unsung anti-heroes of the Batman canon. I want to posit that it's Harlequinade, which sounds like Grenade, which is... Very explosive and on theme with the episode, I would say. Hmm, I never thought of it that way. I thought it was more like Serenade or um, like um, the French Harlequinade, as in like a a, a huge opus based around the Harlequin. But either way, it works. And Harlequinade, as in Grenade, well, it's definitely an explosive episode, isn't it? That's exactly what I say, and it's true <laughs> enough indeed. Um, the threat of the... Looming great big comedically sized bomb uh, hanging somewhere ominously over Gotham is a strong thing running throughout. And we uh, wonder if the explosive elements inside it, as well as the explosive elements inside the Batmobile, can truly coexist. It's a real mystery to find out either way. Well, the, the funny thing is, I'm so glad you brought up the huge menacing bomb, but I have to bring up the huge capital letter A on the side of it, because this is the... Closest to an Adam West-esque bomb episode that we've had so far, but it's still dark, grim Batman and vintage. As you said, this this Harley Quinn is the most Harley Quinn we've had today. This is the Harley Quinn that we have today, but she's still 50-50 on whether she will ever be able to leave the Joker. And that, while it's heartbreaking, is part of the character's early charm. Yeah, it's definitely... There's definitely elements where she's starting to doubt the strength in the relationship mm-hmm. with the Joker. So this is definitely where those uncertainties began. And it's important to recognise that, sure, she started out her existence in comics and in TV as a real devoted supporter and lover of the Joker. So it took a while before she eventually realised that he's dangerous, psychotic, deadly and violent and not a presence she really wanted to be around until she eventually found her true love in later comics. But... um yeah, it's nice to see that we've actually had some evolution of the character since we first saw her as that devotee into her being that on and off, on again, off again romance with Poison Ivy into her being unsure and uncertain now. Mm. So we've got real growth in the character in these short episodes we've had. Oh, totally. I mean, she's already, as you very wisely said, we're starting to see the anti-hero or even the hero in her because... The first time she decks Batman in the in the nightclub, the Hoodlums nightclub, if she wanted to, she could have shot him in the back of the head. She could have killed him. She did that to protect him and because she knew Robin was on the way. That already to me was like, this Harley's grown and she can keep a bargain. The only weakness she has is for some reason, he flashes a smile and the Joker's got her back under his spell. Uh, I think that's um, really dark that this is where my thoughts go, but... This is where um, a lot of manipulators and a lot of uncertain figures and yes. dark sort of abusers would have that effect. They um, There's certain things about their charm that makes their victims sort of fall into their mm. trap initially. And it's the thing that sort of keeps them endeared and keeps them going back in for more, as dark as that is. And it takes a lot of victims of that sort of 
of experience to eventually come out of it. So it's very relatable in a very unfortunate way. So we get to the chance to see Harlequin eventually grow around that. And as a psychologist, you would know what to look for. But when you're actually in a bad situation like that, it's hard to dodge and recognize those things. Yeah. And as a psychologist, she would probably recognize, as you and I would probably state, that this is like an extremely intimate and extreme case of Stockholm Syndrome. So uh, to an extent, I think that's our way to talk about it. Um, with uh, domestic abuse like this, it has those kinds of tropes without it being like so oppressively violent. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's some violence to it here and there, especially in this relationship. Yeah. But um, there's a sort of recognition that the violence wasn't there to begin with, whereas with Stockholm Syndrome, the, the hostage takers are usually violent from the offset. Um there's a certain air of familiarity and trust there because ultimately the victim sort of believes maybe things can be better, maybe things will turn around eventually if I just stay with it and stick with it. Yeah, some cost fallacy sort of applies in there. But um, yeah, it's a it's a very recognisable trope, which is why it works so well, and that's why we really root for her to eventually get out of this this relationship. And yeah, and eventually she does, and it's really, really quite nice to see. It's rewarding because it's the payoff that every viewer and reader has been wanting since day one, apart from the odd, very vocal minority who still think for some baffling reason that they're the greatest couple ever, which just, I I can't wrap my head around. But it's also a tribute and and a testament to the writing skill of Paul Dini, who created Harley Quinn. But um, watching this episode again, because this is one I have seen before, but I was convinced that it was directed by Bruce Tim, but it wasn't. It was directed by Kevin Altieri, who does a magnificent job. This feels like one of the most polished and well-animated, smoothly animated episodes I've seen in a long, long time, this episode. I'd definitely say that the, now that they're well into season two, they've got the process of creating an episode down yeah. very well. I can always attest to the quality of the production that always goes into it. I'm going to be honest, I can't quite say I'd see or feel a big difference in animation here or there. Mm. I just recognise this as a particularly strong story. That's that's more me, the, the visual thing. You're much more of a storyteller, and, and absolutely. But um, the story itself, I mean, let's let's go from the beginning. It's Joker gets his hands on an atomic weapon. Yep. If that's not scary enough... That's already pretty scary. He's... Uh, he threatened to use it on Gotham City, and we know he will. But did you spot the little visual cue at the oh, beginning yes, where Mayor Hill's on the phone and the hand that's holding oh, the, the phone is he's wearing gloved. the purple? Yeah, it's, it's gloved and there's a purple sleeve. Yeah, so you did spot that. Yeah, because I will be completely honest, the first time I watched it back in 90, whatever, I didn't spot that, <laughs> but um, Harley did, and again. This proves that she could, if she set her mind to it, be an incredible hero on the side of the angels. Uh, I think that's the foundations of what has led her to be the anti-heroic, heroic figure of current comics. Mm -hmm. Um, We definitely see those origins of her knowing the Joker, knowing a dark criminal mind, then ultimately doing the right thing when the need calls for it. So yeah, I could definitely see that this is where uh, a good Harley began. Oh yeah, totally. This was the first step on the road to redemption and on the road to heroism. Because as you quite rightly say, in modern day comics, she has been an outright hero on more than one occasion. I mean, not always in continuity, like a brilliant story like Deceased have shown that she can be a true hero and convert others, Ivy, to that cause. So 
So you'd agree then this is the first step to that. Mm. Are you hoping we'll get more of that as the season and seasons progress? I sincerely hope so. I think we've, like, this is where Hollywood began this show. We've mm-hmm. seen her origins and we've seen her up and down in the beginning of uh, her entanglement with Poison Ivy. So it'll be a natural progression to see how that side of things goes along. Um yeah, I welcome it. I think it's a, it would be a natural thing to do, just to fully explore this character that's created by the series. I have high hopes. Well said. Very, very well said. And we have to, of course, discuss the stellar vocal performance by Arlene Sorkin in this episode. This is the most she's ever spoken and sung. Yes, that was quite a nice surprise. And it was very well done, that entire oh. like song performance bit right there in the middle of the episode. Because... It somehow felt effortless. Mm-hmm. It felt very vaudeville and like yes. show tune, which is yeah. very much of the, of the time. But there was still enough random pauses and changes where her, like, her voice breaks, where it shows that she was improvising and making the whole song up mm-hmm. as she was going. Of course, Arlene Talkin wouldn't have been, but Harley Quinn would. So still being able to keep Absolutely. the actual like, clarity of the song going through while still making it sound like she's... Coming up, making up as she goes along, trying to vamp for time while Robin helps Batman escape is a very strong performance done by a master. Absolutely. I mean, you could tell that this is a lady who's a trained song and dance act as well as a very, very talented actress and voice actress. I mean, the singing, she was trying to tone it down and make it cheeky and comedic with a Harley Quinn voice, but you can tell that this lady can sing. Yeah. And it's. I'm so glad you pointed out the part where, while it is a pastiche of a show tune and it's beautifully done, so the whole lying on the piano, but she has to crack the lid shut and get on top of it. But the way she sounds like she's improving and making up as she goes along, where she's clearly got the lines in front of her, was brilliantly, brilliantly done. But what really got me was, again, the little cracks in the voice of emotion where... She's clearly talking about the violent, horrible relationship she has with the Joker and putting it to music. Really disturbing yet genius. Uh, Yeah, because it's, like I I would know, good art comes from honesty. Yeah. So there's definitely an element to explaining, sure, there's something to it otherwise. Um, And it'd be easy experiences for her to draw on to be able to sing out. So it would be a case of, yeah, just going back to memory and singing out what was in the heart. There's a familiarity to that, which is good in the genre that she's singing about. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of, my man was not good to me, sort of like smoking parlor, femme fatale sort of lounge singers would sort of sing yeah. about. That's the similar sort of genre that they'd be on about. So it'd be in keeping with the genre whilst also still like parodying it, but still making it new, but still telling the story around it, but still acting whilst singing. Aside from like a Broadway musical, you don't really get that. Oh, absolutely. So it's a wonderful performance that you you wouldn't really think unless you were looking at it as closely as we are. Yeah. And it's it's something that you can dissect and take apart. I mean, you said straight away the fact she's acting like she's in prog when she's clearly rehearsed on paper and the emotion and the storytelling and everything else. A really talented actor is what you need to pull that off. And she nailed it. It's fantastic. I mean, to the point where I was thinking, is this actually Arlene? Yeah. Uh, and it was. So more kudos. I mean, I've, I've loved her since day one. I've loved her on screen and live action. 
but her Harley is the original. And while I love everyone else who's done it since, Tara Strong, of course, Kaylee Cuoco, my heart still belongs to Arlene Sorkin's original Harley Quinn. As we've said, we've uh, this is the first appearance of Harley Quinn, this show, this series. She was, she was created here on TV and it was introduced to the comics later. So it's hard to not synonymize Harley Quinn with Arlene Sorkin's mm-hmm. consistently amazing performances. So yeah, we can really thank the character and how far she's come, even even up to and including Margot Robbie's multiple performance, mm-hmm. award-winning performances for her. Um, but they all come back to this one yeah, great, strong performance. So yeah, thank you, Arlene Sorkin. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. And it's quite funny because it's, it's on record, it's common knowledge that when Harley was first introduced, she was meant to be a one-and-done character. Hmm. But it's Arlene's performance and characterization and depth and richness of performance that made her, well, she's a legend. She's been around 92, 2002, 2012. It'll be 30 years next year. That is amazing. Yeah, it really is a real slice of history to show that this character's been with us so long and the strength of the performance has been with us for so long. So, yeah, it's... Something I like to live by, like a little pithy quote uh, that sort of motivates me, is that big things have small beginnings. Mm. Something that yes, would have indeed. been very simple and very throwaway ended up becoming a cornerstone of modern day comics and a character that a lot of people know and recognize quite easily without really knowing her origins is quite an important thing. So, yeah, I'm glad that it's stuck around so strongly. And another thing that I have to say, and I've maintained this for years if not decades that dc just tends to have far better more recognizable female characters because they're imagined better and written better i mean don't get me wrong characters like kitty pride and storm and sue storm from marvel um i adore them but has any of them got the depth and richness and have they ever been as well written to carry off their own series year after year as characters like Wonder Woman, Batgirl, Supergirl, or even Harley? Yeah. Um, over on Dark Knight News, I reviewed the Catwoman current run on the comics. Ramsey's mm-hmm. doing an excellent job there. Yes. And yes. that's just another proof of point. Um, DC's uh, female characters are very well-rounded because they're just characters. Yeah. The fact that I think that's something I take from an interview with George, I read from George R.R. R. Martin. Uh, you always write such strong female characters in your Game of Thrones books. Yes, because I like to make the distinction that female characters are still people. Exactly. You can't make the distinction just because they're female. You should treat them differently from a male character. No. Exactly that. You just, you just write them sincerely with emotions, with needs, with flaws, with struggles. That's how you just tell a story. The fact that they're male or female doesn't really factor Spot into it. Bottom. So... When you compare that to some of the other comics creators where they are all stunningly beautiful, flowing hair, unnecessarily revealing costumes, uh, it's hard to sort of put that emotional weight behind them. Mm-hmm. So they end up feeling forgettable by comparison. Yeah, because worldwide now, I mean, I will say that even though she's been around less than half the time of characters like Catwoman and Wonder Woman, 30 years as opposed to 80 plus, she is still one of the most instantly recognisable and well-known fictional female characters in in the business. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd say that. I'd say he's going as far as even all of fiction. 
Um, yeah, and it's a really remarkable achievement for a character that really wasn't intended to be so grand. Yep. I like that. And that's down to Arlene and writers like Paul Dini, as far as I'm concerned. Big things have small beginnings. Now, seeing this show with fairly fresh eyes, because I know you haven't seen or remember anywhere near as much as, as this old fella, would you, at this point, looking just, just as what we've seen, not knowing what you know now, would you at this point think that Harley will ever learn and escape the Joker's um, power? I think there was a moment where she was completely entirely free. She was the one who sabotaged the plane and mm -hmm. saved, effectively saved the day. Until right then when he uh, emerges from the plane wreck right there at the end of the episode and just flashes the big yellow toothy grin and she just turns to jelly again. Yeah. So a part of me feels like, if I were watching this fresh and I didn't know why I know about comics now, I feel like it would be a case of um, like sitcom logic yeah. where in certain kinds of TV shows, uh, the status quo will always be reset by the end of the episode so that in the next episode, some chaos can ensue, but everyone comes back to the center. Yeah. I feel like that would be a sort of the case well, of so. like of um Harley Quinn would try her best to sort of like get out of his clutches, but then eventually come back into it and fall into the same bad habits. We would all root for and hope that that would happen, but some way down the line it probably would. But as of right now, if I were just watching it over the time, she'd probably just be stuck in the feedback loop and you'd feel really bad for her. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's literally still going to keep that sense of familiarity and keep that building and building and building until she's literally got no recourse. But what um, got me about this was the change at the end, but we'll come back to that because it's one of my main takeaways from the episode. So on that note, let's do it. Let's do what we do every single week. <laughs> what were your main takeaways, positive, negative, things you liked or didn't like about Holly Quinnade? Uh, it was a throwaway line by the lady herself, um, right after the takedown of the Speakeasy Casino warehouse deal. Mm -hmm. It was just a very throwaway line that made me go, wait, what? That doesn't quite make sense given the context of the show where we are right now. Bam, did you see how good, good I was in there? Boom, boom, pow. Batgirl, eat your heart out. Yeah. There hasn't been a Batgirl yet. What? Oh. Well, there has seen been. she's We've not seen. been named as Batgirl. Yeah, she hasn't actually joined the crime-fighting team. She's just the girl who's been dressed as a bat. Yes, and we've seen her precisely as Batgirl once. Yeah. And we've, well spotted. And we've got the like the stern dismissal of Batman and Robin being like, thank you for your help, but you shouldn't be doing this. Please stay over here. And I don't think they even realised that she was Barbara Gordon in that, in that story. No, there hasn't. So there's no reason to be like, oh, we know you, we know you're capable, we can let you in. She was still sort of an enigma that got that got shown up once. So I'm wondering how that sort of got recognised. But it's an interesting detail to remember that to remind the audience. Oh yeah, that was a character that appeared one time. Maybe we can expect that as foreshadowing. But it's a very odd choice. That's genius. That's really well spotted. The only way I can sort of get my head around it, and it was answered by this episode, was the fact that. As Batman quite rightly states, the Joker seems to have eyes everywhere. everywhere. So maybe they witnessed that first appearance of Batgirl, saw her fighting by Batman's side and thought, well, hang on, he's got another crony. She's not dressed like a bird, so she must be Batgirl. a yeah. Batgirl. Yeah. That's the only 
logical analysis, I'll just pull that right out of the ether because that was really spotted and it didn't even register with me. Yeah. So nice job. Yeah, it was just it just confused me a little bit. So I was just like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm wondering how you would rationalise that. But thank you for again rationalising that. Yeah. <laughs> Rationalization or us. That's what you <laughs> Another thing I did want to point out, yes. and I just like it's something that comes up every time. It's a question I ask myself every time the Joker's sort of present and a big force in uh, any story. Yeah. How many abandoned carnivals are there in Gotham? Honestly. Uh, well, if it's anything like New York and uh, Coney Island and uh, New Jersey and anything else, there's, there's probably at least half a dozen. But um, this just makes my heart happy the fact that they've named them one of them the main one in recent comics continuity bolland park oh very nice makes me extremely happy yeah and dear listener that's down to the killing joke who was drawn by of course brian bolland but um yeah very well put um so many so many (laughs) exactly as many as the the plot needs yeah um for every peer um, remember it's an island yeah. So yeah. So it's the pier. Northeast, southwest. Maybe some more. Maybe some more. Or somewhere yeah. in the somewhere in the river. Yeah. We're we're British, uh, uh, dear listeners. So we know. You probably we're... never guessed, but yes. We yes. Uh, so we know full well the power of places like Brighton and Blackpool and Southend. And, yeah. And, Such yeah. great um, tourist hubs full of places much like that, but in slightly better states of repair than some of the places the Joker likes to hang out. Well said. Very, very well said. Yeah, I've got a couple of takeaways too. Um, the first was uh, another line which wasn't quite so throwaway because you're one of you, you got the whole backdoor thing out of it, which was genius. All I got out of that line was Biff Bang Kapow, Adam West, Bert Ward. <laughs> Thank you. That was lovely. But the line, <laughs> I'm giggling now still. You thought I was just a bubble-headed blonde bimbo. Well, well the joke's on you. you. I'm, I'm not even really blonde. There's <laughs> something so That's sincere fantastic. about that. There's something so very oh, true to the character about that. But yeah. given when this was written, the character was like six minutes old yeah. compared to yeah. like 1930s and 1940s Titans like Batman and Robin that she's sharing the screen with. Absolutely. And she's the one getting the better characterization and the greater driving force. So it, with this, like... Great, strong character moments like that. Why wouldn't she go on to have this great reputation and yeah. storied history that she would eventually go on to mm-hmm. fill up? Makes total sense. And we're happy to see great character moments like that solidify the character. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Paul D, for that line. That was absolutely masterful. Now, the other takeaway I had, and this is, again, this is just me being me, because you say you notice story beats and characterization and voice and everything else, and that's that's definitely your strength. You, you've got a real talent for it. But I do see the visuals and obviously the hand, the glove, the purple sleeve, um, the smoothness, the brilliance of the animation this episode. But it's a little thing like Robin diving into the pool to save Mayor Hill. Mm. And while underwater, his costume is no longer red and green and yellow. It's muted, subdued, as if it would be when seen in the blue pool water. And little things like that is what helped elevate this series above so many other pieces of animation. It's an unexpected level of realism that you really wouldn't expect from animation. And I don't think you get from much animation anymore. Nope. Um, And it's something I'm very happy to see and can really count on the quality of this show to consistently do. Yeah. 
absolutely. It's just one of those things that we say it week after week after week, and we've yet to be let down. This series is just fantastic. Really is. Absolutely. Continues to be so. Well, I think that wraps up another episode of I Am The Night. So we've been talking about Harlequinade, written by Paul Dinning, directed by Kevin Altieri. I loved it. Thrills, laughs, and now that dark moment I wanted to mention. Because if you notice that at the end, Joker was murderous. Hmm. Not just for all of Gotham, but for Harley. Now, the moment that pushed Harley over the edge to become heroic was knowing that Bud and Lou, her hyenas, her babies, were in danger, that maternal instinct, which I haven't seen that often in Harley. But the bit that got me is she pulled the trigger. She did not know that was a fake machine gun. But it's when she did it that the joke alivened up, and that's when he looked at her and thought, wow, she is like me. The fact that she was going to kill him was the bit that brought him back. And that that's dark as hell. It really is. That's, that's the kind of willingness to throw his life to chaos that the Joker's always sort of embodied. Yeah. That sort of reminds me of that bit in Christmas Island's The Dark Knight where the Joker wants Batman to run him over with the Bat motorcycle yeah. and he's genuinely disappointed when he doesn't. He doesn't yeah. So there's always been that element of the Joker playing with his own mortality just to get the best the best gag possible. He pushed her to that extent and he was quite excited to see that she went to that, that extent. Personally, this is just me speaking as someone who wants to get Harley Quinn out of the Joker's clutches. I'm kind of disappointed she didn't just like whack him with the gun like it was a bat. Oh, like it was a bat. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> now... So do you then think it's like the ultimate reversal of Batman's line is if you murder a murderer, all you've done is create another murderer? That the Joker thinks, well, if she kills me, I've created another killer? More than that, I think the psychological extreme of her defending Gotham for the sake of two hyenas mm. to... Illegally, no, actually, no. I've read actually that in New York, that you can have a hyena as a pet as a pet due to a loophole in the law. Really? Yes, you can. Blimey! Um, don't do it, folks. Oh Please no, don't. absolutely. Please research Legal. it because I'm taking this off the word of Brian David Gilbert. <laughs> okay. But it's a thing that I've heard, and I trust him weirdly because he's a very good researcher. But still, those are animals that are not acquired very easily, and she's going to like destroy the Joker's plans just for the sake of two illegally smuggled animals, but then is willing to go to that extreme to save a bunch of strangers, then go into a fit of rage just to kill one person. That's more than the Joker finding recognition of creating a killer. Mm -hmm. That's the Joker finding the recognition of creating a killer as dark, as twisted, as chaotic as he is. Yeah. So if he'd have died, he would have been okay with it because there would have been something close to his level of destructiveness still left in the world. Very well put. Exactly that. Wonderful. And wonderful is how I'd use, is the word I'd use to describe this episode. So that's it. Another episode of I Am The Night in the can, ready for your listening pleasure. But there's so much more that's out there for your listening and viewing pleasure. A lot of it is created by this wonderful human being sitting next to me, Adam Ray. Tell the universe where they can find you. I do lots of things and they can be found mm. in lots of places. 
Uh, for written things flavoured around Batman, look no further than Dark Knight News, where I view multiple titles a month, mostly uh, the aforementioned Catwoman, but of course, uh, Suicide Squad. It's also in an excellent spot right now. Some of it featuring Harley Quinn in the amazing uh, Get Joker miniseries, which should be ending any minute now, yes. as of the time of recording of this, at yes. least. Um, for my own true love, PC and tabletop gaming, look to our baby, fantasticuniverses.com, where the Hostile Takeover podcast discusses gaming every week. We're on a small hiatus right now due to circumstances, but we'll return to your airwaves as well as my own written work in and around card gaming and uh, addictive gacha nonsense. <laughs> for, for tabletop RPG experience, look to the Apotheosis Studios blog where I review uh, multiple angles of the Dungeons and Dragons world and bring new supplements, monsters, items, locations, and lore to level up your TTRPG experience. Alteron Terra CCG, where I deck tech bit games for the League of Legends card game, something that has gripped my efforts immensely. Follow me on Twitter at IsItSinkera, where you'll find me talking about gacha nonsense, <laughs> uh, digital card games, and general queer issues, and look beyond the dark of the mirror for more goodness. To see me in gaming action, look to the hostile atmosphere on YouTube and No Ordinary Heroes on YouTube for Dungeons & Dragons goodness as well. Check it all out because it is true goodness. This show, I Am The Knight, is one of a few on the brilliant DC Comics News podcast network along with the original DC Comics News podcast where every week myself and some friends chat everything DC, movies, TV, gaming, streaming, comics, you name it. We talk about it. Harley Quinn, the uh, Mad Love podcast, is uh, breaking down every episode of the Harley Quinn animated series, much like Adam and I do with this show. And then there's a spinner rack where Seth talks about the five best DC books that week to help you spend your money wisely. You can also catch Kelly Gaines on the video show on YouTube, DCN after dark catch all the audio stuff on spotify stitcher apple and google play catch dc comics news and dark night news on facebook twitter tumblr and youtube and of course talk to us on twitter at l steve el underscore i will talk to you about anything nerdy forever for my written work type in steve j ray or fantastic universe since your search engine of choice to read all my news reviews and interviews across dark night news dc comics news Fantastic universes and CBR. But until you do, you need to remember Adam Ray is the knight. Together we are the knight. And this has been the I Am the Knight podcast. Thank you for listening. And until next time, read more comics and watch more Batman. <laughs>